Good morning, everyone. Thank you for joining us today. We're so glad you spend this time with us. Today is January 23rd, 2021, and this is the Bible study. And we are recording from the Plainfield Christian Science Church Independent, Plainfield, New Jersey, the United States of America. And our moderator for today is Susan from Massachusetts. Good morning. I'll read an excerpt from a sermon given by Charles Spurgeon called Jesus Sitting on the Well. This section of the sermon begins with verses from John in the Bible. Then said the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? for the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. And from Spurgeon. But our Lord did not come to maintain these distinctions of race and caste. It is altogether foreign to the spirit of Christianity for nationalities to be despised. We sometimes hear people say of a person, Oh, he is only so-and-so, mentioning some nation that happens to be in the background. Christ was cosmopolitan. He loved men of every nation and tribe and tongue and people. To him there was neither Jew nor Samaritan. All such distinctions were banished from his mind. And I will also read from the Bible, Galatians. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And also from Miscellaneous Writings by Mary Baker Eddy. The teachings and demonstration of Jesus were for all peoples and for all time, not for a privileged class or a restricted period, but for as many as should believe in him. Great, thank you. Yeah, those are beautiful. Thank Thank you, you. Susan. I pray that heals the world of... Prejudice. Yes, prejudice. See how far back it goes. So many arbitrary disi- um, divisions in the world. <clears throat> I know it's all that all that trouble. Then the people start having ideas about people they don't even know, and then the hate starts, and there we go. So, yes, I was just reminded of a beautiful story that pertains to this. Um, Recently we had lunch with someone, um, he's Greek, but told a story of his his grandfather, right? His grandfather, yeah. His grandfather. I'm not sure how he was, he was put, he was a ventured servant in Egypt, right? And then... And he ended up in a German concentration camp during the war. Not sure why or how. And he was one of the few people who actually survived it. 
he survived a concentration camp in Germany during the war. One of the few people to survive. Uh, he fled to the United States afterwards, but he uh, started a business. But he had this intense hatred for, of Germans in him, and he knew that it would be. He knew that it was terribly unhealthy for him to have this hatred of Germans. So what he did, he uh, he moved to Germany. He enrolled in a university there. He learned the language. Uh, he studied something. He got a degree at the university. And he forced himself to love Germans. Well, by, li <laughs> by living with them and getting to know them, he realized there was that he did love them. Yeah. And uh, so... Anyway, it was it was quite a beautiful story of forgiveness. I told the man who was telling it to us he should write it up somehow. But and and this man that we were speaking to that told us the story, who was his grandson, he he's just the most loving, open, kind person. And yes, I would say cosmopolitan. He travels all around. And um, anyway, it was it was very refreshing to hear that. It was just what. Florence just said, you don't even know these people, and yet you hate them. How'd that happen? So he got to know them and realized that they are all, all children of God, all worth loving. And, and his, his son, the father of the man who was telling us this, became a minister here in the United States somewhere, in the Greek Orthodox Church or something, that yeah. he was a, became a minister and told this, taught this story of forgiveness, and uh, yeah, so yeah, it reminds me of uh, Martin Luther King's uh, yeah. <laughs> this statement that I have decided to stick with love, hate is too great a burden to bear. So, wonderful, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, and Mrs. Mrs. Eddie says somewhere in science and health that, that all of all of mankind's problems or, or the the big mistake that, that man men make is to believe that man is both material and spiritual right and when if you believe that man is material well then you're you're sunk because you've got all these limitations Beliefs of limitation, and 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 you're going to envy, and you're going to feel inadequate, and you're going to try to feel superior. You're going to have pride, and then you're going to have fear, and all of these false beliefs are going to own you, and you're going to make generalizations about people. You're going to and, and do all these stupid things that only harm both you and anybody around you. That's why science is the only answer. Absolutely. Man is not material. He is spiritual. Boy, the implications of that are huge. It was a wonderful week to go back and listen to Martin Luther King, some of his speeches. Jeremy found a Beautiful one, too. He sent to his children, what was it called, a blueprint? Of yeah, the 
I think it was called The Blueprint of Your Life or something like that. It was it made me cry like three times. I, I, I know. We were, all, we're, all crying, we're all crying through that. Yeah. But um, anyway, yeah, thank you for sharing that, Florence. The things that he said, we, we put another quote on the carousel. Hmm. So, and thank you, Susan, because this is such an important topic, and I hope it just washes over us, washes over our world, so that we will not get into this awful, unfounded division um, amongst brethren. You know, it's interesting, because one of the things that drove me out of, you know, Christianity when I was younger was that thought that there's only one right sect, you know, and only those people are going to be saved. And I just found that really weird. Like God's going to create all this and then just give it to 40 people or <laughs> something <laughs> stupid like that, you know? So, but I was so delighted when I came here and realized that Christian science is for everyone. That's why waste your time with anything else. Yeah. And it's not a sect. Not a sect. No. No, not religion either. Anytime anyone says religion, I actually want to use like one of those uh, beepers. Oh, beepers. <laughs> <laughs> not listening. I think also the mention of neither male nor female, the, the, to learn that truly we are both, we both, or we all have both qualities, the male and female. I think that cut through the disrespect of female and all the other things in some cultures. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Yep, that's a very another very important aspect. Um, thank you. Well, yes, you're right. It's a sign of a civil of a, of a civilized society, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I mean, um, how how long ago was it that uh, women were allowed to vote in the United States or in England or... This late? Yeah, it was... About 100 years ago. Oh, a little over 100 years yeah. ago. Oh. And Mrs. Eddy was, uh, you know, she, she pushed for equal rights. She mm-hmm. pushed hard for it. And well, it was all, around all, her time that it happened. All through her writings. All of this is all through her writings. Um... Yeah, and she she talks about yeah using demonstrating both both the so-called male qualities and female qualities. It belongs to all of us. There's no distinction in that way. And people were prejudiced against her because she was a woman. How could she find a found a religion or a way of life? I don't want to get beeped out by Jeremy. <laughs> 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 some of life. Yeah. Something to the effect that the female was actually the superior. Yeah. But I think she's not talking to people, the gender of people, but the quality of thought, which we all have. We all have those qualities of thought that are identified as female and male. But those that are female are actually the superior. So. Love. Love. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, and she did say they were more spiritually minded and could grasp things better. I forget where that is, but um, Mrs. one time during a class, Mrs. Evans 
brought that out, quoted it or something. We had some guy pack up and leave. <laughs> he was so mad, <laughs> which maybe was a proof of the point. I don't know. <laughs> you know, there's another thing that comes to mind reading these wonderful selections that you gave us, Susan. Thank you. And this is the idea of taking sides, because so often in society, the question comes, well, whose side are you on? And like, you mean like I got to pick one, really? Well, there's only one side to take, and that's the side of Almighty God. And so we all need to look within our hearts, say, what's God saying here? That's the only side. Instead of having to pick sides, formulate judgments, and get in a very disturbed state of thought, actually. Yeah, not who's right, but what's right. Yes. Thank you. Yeah, this is, yeah, yeah because choosing line. sides is not a personal thing. It's a spiritual thing. It's either right or it's wrong with God. And, you know, and we as people have approximations of what's right in some cases. <laughs> and humanly, who's to say, right? Exactly. Spiritually, God says. <clears throat> and that's why our spiritual sense is so essential. We really can't make good decisions without spiritual sense. Anyway. Well, those were wonderful selections, Susan. Very, very healing. What a wonderful one from Charles Spurgeon and Mrs. Eddy and the Bible. Thank you. Well, I had a lot of help on the readings, so thanks to everyone for their input. <laughs> oh, good. And um, I always feel like nature is a wonderful example because everything looks so different, like the flowers are all individual expressions, and but they don't fight with each other and say, well, you're this color, so I don't like you. <laughs> mm -hmm. like, that, that's what makes nature so beautiful is the um, diversity of it. Thank you, yes. Yes, and of course, and little children, too. They, they yeah. just mm -hmm. love each other. They don't see color or anything. They, how yeah. could? And none of us should either. It's one reason I do love this area, living in New Jersey or Plainfield area. It's very diverse, and I just feel it's wholesome. So welcoming, too. I, I've been a lot of places all over the United States, and this is one of the most integrated. The, the way everyone gets along is so it beautiful. Is, it's it so is. deep in the heart and pure, and you feel so comfortable. It's just beautiful. It is, Absolutely. Because only infinite love is among us all, in truth. That's it. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. And it's that kind of atmosphere that allowed this church it's true. to blossom. It's true. It didn't blossom when it was this rich community. It was after, after the riots, after things came a very humble area. And that is absolutely right. That's, that's when it came forth as it always will, as Jesus was born born in the manger. Um, it takes a humble atmosphere for mm -hmm. the truth to bloom, not a self-righteous uh, place. It was More like Samaria than Judah. <laughs> yeah. I was um, reading some of these, and the thought came, who doesn't want to know that God loves him? And that's why Jesus was there, to let people know that God loves everybody. 
Well, the Pharisees don't want to know that. So. <laughs> <laughs> Not to give away the answer to the first question. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, so can question. I just make a, a, a while well, when we were talking about male and male and female, there's a wonderful page on, in the blue book on page 73, and where it talks about the male and female nature being equally represented in each one, and it's two paragraphs. It's, it's about half the page of 73, and it's wonderful if anybody wants to look it up. I was looking for it, which is why I didn't say it at the time, but I found it, so it's, it's really a beautiful um, thing Mrs. Eddy says about the male, female and male nature in each one of us. Thank you. Thank you. I know there, it's in Watches, Prayers, and Arguments as well. Um, something. It might not be the same thing, but something similar. Yeah. So, and also the importance of this story. Carrie had sent me a, several articles, but um, one, and I, we have been there, and I didn't remember this, but in the in the mother church, stained glass window, one is of Jesus at the well with a Samaritan woman. It was considered that significant that it was in the church, and uh, I read too where someone said some of the most profound things that Jesus said during his whole ministry was at that time to this woman. Susan? Okay, question one. Why did Jesus leave Judea to go to Galilee? Jeremy? <laughs> <laughs> well, the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not. And, uh, so I just I, it's funny how often I come back to the idea of being sent and Parthen's brought up. God sent them to Samaria. <clears throat> to go along with that, uh, it says, this is Matthew Henry, uh, that which grieved them, the Pharisees, was that Christ made so many disciples. So they were worried because they thought they got rid of John the Baptist. <laughs> and it, and it, the here, the here Jesus popped up and it said that... Uh, and it is a good thing that it's getting, oh, let me see. The success of the gospel exasperates its enemy. And it is a good sign that it's getting ground when the powers of darkness are enraged against it. <laughs> Thank you. That's good to know. Good to know. <laughs> and we yeah. do know that, yeah. yes. We've experienced that in this country recently, haven't we? <laughs> <laughs> and we've experienced it in our church. We've in experienced church, it in yeah. many ways. Individually. So a little too much self-righteousness in Judea? A little more humility in Galilee. And he left. So he left. So he said it wasn't the right time for the confrontation in Jerusalem. It wasn't the right time. Yes, he was sent somewhere else. He had other work to do. And of course, in the chosen, it's such a wonderful. Yeah. Oh my goodness, <laughs> the most beautiful. <laughs> yes. They did that very well. No. Yeah. So Jesus was sent where he would be 
most readily received and appreciated and where the message would take where the seed would be sown in good soil okay anybody else Just one added note, I guess, um, I was pointed out to the, the disciples who he, he had just, um, they weren't together too long yet, and they were j just new, and they also weren't prepared for what was to come later, and so he wanted to also protect his disciples from um, early, it was, it was too early for them to be exposed to the persecution and Thank you. Yeah, good point. Yeah. Good point. He had to build his team. <laughs> yeah. uh, should we do question two? Sure. sure, thank you. Okay, why is it significant that Jesus went through Samaria and interacted with a Samaritan woman instead of taking another route? May I say something before you get into that? I have a map, and if you look it up, it said in the commentary that I read that a lot of the Jews crossed over the Jordan and went to the east side and went up to Galilee where they wanted to go to Galilee. He chose not to do that, and that's what we're going to get into. He went up through Samaria, which is between uh, Judea and Galilee. Thank you. Yeah which was thought to be not as safe a route yeah. because of the animosity between some Jews and some Samaritans. Mm -hmm. And it was generally believed that there was a difference between them that justified the animosity. Again, generalizations being made on a human level that Jesus didn't really care about. He didn't believe him. I think he was obeying what, where he was led to go. He always constantly in communion with God, and he did exactly what he was to do any time. So he was to go there, then he went there. doesn't matter who said what. He was doing God's will. Exactly. You know, in verse 4 it says, and he must needs go through Samaria. Yeah. The, the word must. So obviously the impulsion to go there was very strong and impressive. So how could he do otherwise? Kind of gives a, a, new, a new picture of this being sent. Only it came so loud and clear to him that they use the word must in this description here. Right. May not have been even safe the other side for him if the Jews were mad at him. Pharisees. <laughs> well, he had a mission, yeah. didn't he? Yeah. And as Florence said, he, he was sent. You know, I was reading how he had a heart for Samaria. Even in the moments before he ascended, it said, but you will receive power when the Holy Ghost comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. He cared about all, 
all people everywhere. So it didn't matter what other people thought. <laughs> it didn't matter, as was said. Well, and, and there was this thought among many Jews that the Samaritans were somehow inferior. And, mm-hmm. and, and I guess a lot of Samaritans were, you know, were uh, led to feel that they were somehow inferior. And, you know, he, he had to go and debunk that whole nonsense. It was interesting. I, I tried to read to figure out why why this was. I, I couldn't understand it. I read it several times. And I couldn't. I still couldn't understand it. That's because it makes no sense. It's just rank mm. prejudice. You know, last yeah, I also. We had that story of the Samaritan, the good Samaritan. Yes, last yeah. week. So mm-hmm. Jesus obviously made a very specific point about the man who asked him, "What do I need to do to inherit eternal life?" And then he went to the Pharisee, looked at him, went on, on the other side, and the Levite passed on the other side. And then the Samaritan was the one who went the extra mile to take care of this guy. So why did he say it was a Samaritan? After all, this is just a story. He could have picked out any other nationality. This is just a story. This time. <laughs> he did it to make a point. You guys need to love you need to love. That's yes. the point of that story. And even love the Samaritans. I can't tell you how many times in the writings of Mary Baker Eddy, where she implores her followers to love those that hate them. That only love can meet whatever it is, the problem. Thank you. A love uh-huh. of life. And, and, you know, it's a lack of love and all of this that destroys churches. Um, competitiveness or somebody thinking this about somebody else or, or whatever and see it time and time again so and and that and it was heartbreaking to her she was alive when this division came up with Augusta Stetson the first church of Christ scientists and the second church the Laura Lathrop church um, that's not science how does that happen Pride of pride, pride of power, rank, lack of love. And she does say, and I've quoted this before, when Christian scientists all learn to love each other, there'll be no need to have a church. That's right. Yes. <laughs> the church is the divine idea of love. So, Thank you. I remember during the law case, Reg Carey always telling us to love the hell out of them. <laughs> yep. Re- referring to Boston's lawyers. <laughs> <laughs> and, and just simply love, love more, love more. Love is always love is the liberator. Love is the answer, and love brings peace. And that's why that man who went to Germany learned that lesson. Because when he was in Germany, he loved all the people there, and he was healed of his resentments and prejudices, even even when you think they're founded. Because um, that's, again, another form of, of hate and division. I mean, many people do think they're founded, I guess. They think they're founded. Somebody did this to me, therefore I'm going to hate them, and <laughs> I don't know, it goes on and on. Yeah, they are founded as long as you're in the wrong mind. 
Yes, <laughs> as long as you're believing in material history, the Adam dream. And it started with Cain and Abel, didn't it, brothers? Mm -hmm. So whenever you start feeling that way, then you know you're you're in the wrong mind. You can read ways that are vain, <laughs> Florence. <laughs> Our it's all there, though, isn't it? I mean, ways that are vain, yes. It's all there. It the is all whisper, there. The whispering voice. Tr truth is revealed. <laughs> it only needs to be practiced. <laughs> but, you know, that's their challenge, isn't it? It's to practice the truth that we know. To see all our neighbors as spiritual beings, not as mortal, limited, stupid, or otherwise <laughs> ignorant, or, you know, I mean, none of that. None of that is relevant to God's creation. And Jesus knew that. Daniel Young, in his uh, 1937 uh, college article, wrote on love, and, you know, he said, you may not like everyone, and there might be something wrong with you if you do, but he said you must love everyone. And that is, is so important because that is definitely, as I have been learning through this church, is um, so, so, so important to everything, to our healing, to our attitude, to how we do everything in life. It's just uh, so inspiring. I just love it. Thank you. That, that's, that is a good point. That's I true. think he was addressing really what people do more than the, the one, the person. You know, you may not like the, behave, the wrong behavior we should never like. Of course not. But you've got to see past that to the ideal man, the real man. Yes. We separate the error from that person. And know that it is animal magnetism, and, and it's so good to know that's all this that's going on in our in our country and elsewhere. It's it's an illusion. It's an animal magnetism. It's directed to get people upset and angry with each other and divided. It's not it's not going on. And if you can really see that, understand that deep truth, and separate the error from the people or person or yourself, you'll be free of it. And in doing that, you will do more for yourself than you will for the person or persons you're dealing with. Mm -hmm. And then it also honors God, doesn't it? I mean, God couldn't create anything less than perfect. So to believe a behavior about someone, it also dishonors God, I think. It does. Mm-hmm. Also, that someone... Who made them? Like the people that think that other people are bad because they look different, they're made by God as well. So who are we to judge God's creation? Yeah. Exactly. That's what, yeah. Who are we to judge? That's right. You know, the old thing, you can't judge by surface appearances. It really is. Because if we can get past just what our eyes see only and look within, we're really all the same. And it's that spiritual discernment that sees the image and likeness in God in each and every one. 
Well, Jesus said, judge not that you be not judged. That, that's the Sermon on the Mount gives it to us. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite parts in watching The Chosen was that they, they gave you a good idea of what this life was for this woman. And she was a deep outcast just in her own group. And that's who he chose. <laughs> yeah, that's another thing in their own group that you can get um, <laughs> who's better. Someone once said, I forget where I read this, but they said, well, if God had made the world and we were all the same color, then, then we find something else to pick on. It's yeah. color of your eyes <laughs> or this or that. It's <laughs> always a little thing. They're the way you walk or something. <laughs> expresses infinity so how is man going to express infinity unless he expresses in an infinite colors flavors <laughs> looks likes how are you, you know that's how it's expressed through man is in the infinity of all so yes we are all individual every uh-huh. one of them and just like um, Karen was saying about nature it doesn't lie. Every everything is be every God made everything beautiful in His time. It's all beautiful, all different, all beautiful. And really, what are we looking at? We are looking at God. Yeah, yeah <laughs> right. That's right. That's right. Infinite manifestation for God is all in all. From that article, there is no death. I believe that's where it's from. Um, if they knew you as you really were. They would love you. Oh, I love that. Yeah, that's so beautiful, that in the Eustace secretary. Mm-hmm. Another thing that's been very eye-opening for me is from Mrs. Eddy's article, Love Your Enemies. He says, if you look on an enemy, you're only looking at the object of your own creation. Yeah. <laughs> so the correction is not out there, but within. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Spurgeon also said that there were souls in Samaria to be blessed by his presence. So if he had avoided that area, they wouldn't have been, um, they wouldn't have known the Christ, perhaps. Oh yeah, they were expecting him, right? Because he, she, um, the late, the woman at the well said, uh, you must be the, the Messiah or something, she mentioned. So there was the expectation that he would come. Yeah. You know, and I, I know, and Florence, he's it too, and in, in getting people from around the world receptive, everybody is to the science. Very often here, in the birthplace of science, the materiality has blinded people to science and health, while where the need is more great. I mean, I always think of, of Benjamin in Nigeria. He got it right away. He didn't have to be talked into it. He said, wow, when he read Signs and Health. He said, no human being could could write this. He knew it was God-ordained. And he didn't question it or he just, and it was that purity in him that got him here. And it, it's it's still there. But he, he just saw it. So, you, you know, you never know. And I know in the practice, too, I never know who's going to really get it and accept it and run with the ball, so to speak, or not. 
and who are we to limit? In one of these, now this is was an article. Yeah, Carrie sent this to me too. It's by Frank Mason, and it was in Chickering Hall in 1889, a long time ago, and he brings out that um, about woman by the well but he says to say that the world is not ready for christian science is to declare that it has has had a premature birth this is a reflection on our heavenly father and a reproof to the mediator of this century jesus said what i tell you in darkness material sense speak in the light of christian science the very fact that christian science is here is an indication enough that it must be declared aloud and until it is echoed from every hilltop till from every church tower and the new birth of truth shall be proclaimed it must be shouted aloud till it permeates all nature till sun and moon and stars join in one grand jubilee of peace on earth and goodwill toward men and he, he goes on just to say how how wrong it is for us to think well, the people won't get it or won't accept it. Who said that anyway? But that I know that's to some degree what I've been taught in a way. Oh, they're not ready for it, you know, this and that. Well, who in the world is saying that? This article is full of debunking that. Of course, we wouldn't have it if the world wasn't ready for it. So, And the world is ready for it. Because, you, you know, the what Carrie, Carrie sent you about, the healings in uh, villages in Africa, it's amazing. These people don't even read the text themselves. It's just simple explain to them what God made them to be. They yes. accept that. And the healings are amazing. Yes. So it's not true. The message is very simple. I mean, God wouldn't make it so complicated that some people with some degrees or something should understand. So, <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it's, they're the ones that don't understand. <laughs> exactly. It's amazing. So, they, it, you know, yeah, let's do our best. It will be received, and those who are ready will get the benefit of it. Thank you. Exactly. Any people who need it. So, No limitation on it. We mustn't limit it in our own thought or prayers. And that's why, too, our, our outreach... And all these different languages, and, and we will continue with that. Now is the time. And as, as Florence has said, even if they just get one truth, God is all, God is love, some simple thing, mm -hmm. um, that can do wonders. And it is doing wonders. Yes. Shall we <clears throat> do the next question? Um, what is the water that Jesus was referring to in verses 10 and 14. One of the things I thought was interesting about this, I also was, the Spurgeon article was very good, but it points out how, like somebody already said, that the Samaritan woman was, um, she was an outcast to even her own fellow other women. And so she couldn't go to the well with the other women. She couldn't go in the early morning when it was cooler or later in the day. She had to go in the middle of the day when it was the hottest time of day. So she was alone, which I found interesting because that was 
she needed to be alone. She was the one that needed to receive this message. So she was alone with Jesus. There was nobody else. Not even the disciples were there. So it was a perfect um, scene. And I, again, I just love this scene in The Chosen. But just the two of them, just her and Jesus were at the well. And I thought that was also profound. You know, and, I, and she was... He was waiting for her, it points out in this article, that Christ was waiting for her and she came. And I just, just the scene is just almost, you know, it's overwhelming almost. Well, that brought tears to my eyes when I watched it on The Chosen, but when I'm studying more about it and um, how she was the one and how she received it and why. But yeah, and the water, I, I, it's the spirit of God's love to man that is this water that just keeps God's grace that if you accept it, it just keeps giving and giving and giving and giving like a well. And um, her acceptance of it. Um, but again, the, she had to be, um, well, I don't want to go on, but it, that's what it was. It was just God's grace is what the water represents. And, and um, there were two I looked up uh, the citations in Science and Health and the water where it says um, on page 234, whatever inspires with wisdom, truth, or love, be it song, sermon, or science, blesses the human family with crumbs of comfort from Christ's table, feeding the hungry and giving living waters to the thirsty. And then on page 570, millions of unprejudiced minds Simple seekers for truth, weary wanderers of thirst in the desert, are, awake, are waiting and watching for rest and drink. Give them a cup of cold water in Christ's name and never fear the consequences. That's beautiful. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. Well, I found something in Mary Baker Eddy, Her Spiritual Precepts by Gilbert Carpenter. He said, the direct result of prayer is, give us this day our daily bread. Or in other words, enable us each day to make the demonstration requisite for the needs of this day. It is a claim of laziness that prompts mortals to use warmed over demonstrations in order to avoid the work of making a fresh one, the one for the day. The demonstration that results in man's human needs being met is a simple one in science. When the human obstacle or argument of pessimism, fear, and false desire is removed, just as it is simple to drink from a bottle when the cork is pulled out, every time one desires to drink the living waters of truth, he may do so by removing the cork of belief, the obstacle that animal magnetism would place between man and all good. We do not want warmed over demonstrations in science any more than we want today, the ginger ale that was poured out of the bottle last night. <laughs> it has lost all its effervescence. The right way is to open a fresh bottle each time, wants a, each time one wants a drink and to pour out a sparkling glass full. Mrs. Eddy's rule was not to yield to human laziness and attempt to do a constructive thing with a demonstration of the past, even though the manifestation of that demonstration might still appear to be good. Mrs. Eddy looked upon demonstration as a valuable thing. 
which one can make any time, anywhere, any moment that it is needed? Why cling to the fruit of a past demonstration when one can make one today that will support, supply the bread of today? Thank you. Beautiful. Very good. Only should be Coke, not ginger ale. <laughs> Carol just gave you a thumbs up. Never <laughs> Coke drinkers. That's what you get for being from Atlanta. Sorry, <laughs> Gary. Right. Well, this is. You don't uh, say Pepsi in Atlanta. <laughs> I'm way here. Well. <laughs> Well, this was, sort of, this was from a commentary by McLaren, who said, All in all, this woman is a fascinating character. She is a mature age and has had a not altogether reputable past. She is frivolous, ready to talk with strangers, with a tongue quick to turn grave things into jests. And yet, she possesses hidden beneath masses of unclean vanities, a conscience, and a yearning for something better than she has. Mm. That's why we must never... Um, judge on superficial appearances or anything like that. You, you never know. Usually, you do know. You can feel that yearning. Every person has that yearning inside them, and you have to get cut past that. And Jesus did it well, the way the way he could do it. The way he roused her curiosity with some of the things he said and piqued her interest, and then healed her. And then not only healed her but others of her. Yeah. Community. And and it said too, this is another, the strict rabbis forbade a rabbi to greet a woman in public. A rabbi n might not even speak to his own wife or daughter or sister in public. Mm -hmm. There were even Pharisees who were called the the bruised and bleeding Pharisees because they shut their eyes when they saw a woman on the street, so they walked into walls and houses. <laughs> 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 you walk into a wall. So anyway, what he, what Jesus did was very against all the traditional rules and everything. Um, he broke them all, and it was very refreshing. And then one other that um, that says it was while he rested by the well to which the woman of Samaria came for water that Jesus gave to her and the people of her city the water of life which would heal them of the thirst for material possessions. So, and what, what really can heal you of that thirst of wanting more and more and seeking your answers in materiality than this living waters of the Christ? I thought that was beautiful. What an answer to all our materiality of the day. I can only imagine what kind of treatment, I mean, the Christ, because for her, she must have felt like the most victim of victims, if you think about all the things that were against her, and he rose her above that, and she went back, and she was the one telling everyone to come, and they listened to her. I mean, he didn't go to the most important person in Samaria for them to tell everyone, so she had to really overcome this sense of victimhood, I would have to believe, for her to be able to go back. And, yeah. yeah, so true. Thank you. Yeah. Yep, yep. 
I I think it's almost a, a little like uh, in science too. When at first I was kind of hesitant to say to anyone that I'm a Christian scientist, but really when the spirit of it, at a certain level, you you just there's no hesitation anymore. Yes. I mean, I don't go around you, you know the blabbing it, but <laughs> I'm not hesitant in explaining if somebody is ready to hear. I've overcome my own. There's no timidity about it anymore. In other words, the spirit of it is. There's something that happens within. I feel. Yeah. Thank you. That's so true. I I, I felt the same way. You know, a long, long time ago. So I know what you mean. But I think being um, extricated from the organization yeah. that has yeah. given it such a bad name and yeah. has misrepresented it. Uh, has made all the difference. Yeah, now you can turn them to our website or there's a place to... Um, yeah. So, yeah, but that, that is true. I always felt very timid. Yeah. I never would tell anybody or say anything or even mention God. And now I don't feel that way at all. But also, I, I there's such a need. There's just such a need. Everyone I speak to that it comes... You know, when I speak to them about God, you, their face lights up. Yeah. So we must never be timid. I know everybody. It's not charity. People are very receptive. They are. Mm-hmm. I know all of you are doing this. Everywhere you go to be that light and to, yeah, bring comfort. And and we know Jim in Arizona, I mean, he's cast out so many signs and hells, I've lost count. <laughs> <laughs> Well, she was also shamed in society, so she really didn't care what anyone thought of her. So he might have recognized how humble she was in that way, that she would be the one to give others the message because she didn't care what they thought. Yeah, that's very true. Well, she had, she had nothing to lose. Yeah, yeah. Was, was dead. Yeah. Well, she was, you know, she she she, she was what... Jesus was referring to in the Beatitudes where he said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Mm-hmm. Which I think ties in into this fourth question. Well, I'll wait till we get there. <laughs> yeah, we should. Go ahead. Yeah, we should. <laughs> Why did Jesus bring up the woman's marital history? Well, I think... Um, is to show she's looking for something and and she's been looking in the wrong places. Five husbands. I mean, you know, you think it's this one and then it's not, but that's not what she she really needed at all. So I think uh, this it just brings it out. Um, she's he Christ is there to give her what she's needed all along. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She also had to feel feel her need for what he had to give her. If she didn't feel the need, then um, no matter how one, she had to be receptive, feel the need to be saved. I liked how Spurgeon says that it, it was needful to awaken this woman to a sense of her sinfulness. It was no use putting on plasters where there was no knowledge of a sore and no use attempting to fill the void where there was no feeling of emptiness can't fill a vault, um, I mean, you can't 
fill a vessel already full. So it had to be emptied for the truth to have a to find a place to reside. Mm-hmm. It also proved his authority. He knew everything. Yes, and she accepted that. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's when that's when he um, she knew he was the Messiah. Because how else would he have known that? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Don't don't think I'm talking to you only because. I think you're innocent. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's a good point. Well, she was, yeah, I mean, she she came to the well very skeptical, very scarred, and very wary, especially of men. <laughs> and, and and so he he had to get, get her attention. And by telling her something that uh, he had no other way of knowing other than God telling him. Got her attention. She knew this was something different and very special. That's when she perked up and listened. Yeah. Yeah. And that's how she convinced others that this was the Christ because of what he had told her about herself. And she just... um, was ready to, you know, not that everybody didn't know probably, you know, what kinds of things she did, but she mm-hmm. just said, this is what he said about me, and this is why he's, he is the Messiah. He knows this about me. And yeah, and, and that immediately turned her conversation to the convert, to the to, uh, the idea of worshiping God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? And, you know, it was it was the love behind what he said. She she didn't feel condemned by right. what he said. She didn't feel offended. She could have, because what you know he's telling her about all her past <laughs> sins, but the way he said it, it, it didn't offend her. It's it's really beautiful. It's quite interesting. It's often not what you say, but the motive behind what you say. And if the motive is loving and pure, it will reach the heart and change the heart. Sometimes even not right then, it does in, in some the time, some time to come. That's true. That's true when they think about it a little bit. Uh, so we can do the last question. Um, what announcement did Jesus make? And how were others blessed from this interaction? Well, he admitted that he was the Messiah. I think it was the very first time um, that that he announced that that's that that's who he was was to her. This was the beginning, and. Um, and he was he ended up staying with the Samaritans, with, with the people there for a couple of days, teaching. And they all, he was just getting a lot of converts, people that accepted him. And, and um, it was, yeah, they, they acknowledged that he was the savior of the world, they said. So he stayed and converted many people in those two days. Mm-hmm. And 
his disciples saw it, didn't they? Yeah. This, this was the beginning of his of his mission, of his three-year mission. I read where he got a better reception there than he did in his hometown of Nazareth. Mm-hmm. Again, mustn't judge. Right, because he said, Jesus himself said, that a prophet hath no honor in his own country. Yeah. People that are familiar with you on a human level mm-hmm. sometimes are very blind to the Trouble. great Exactly. Yeah, and this was probably one of the first big first lessons that the disciples had to see. Was this one was the first thing that they needed to hear and see as to what it was going to be like to be their disciple, his disciples, and what they were going to have to know. This is how they were going to have to think and live, and as he did. So it was one of the biggest lessons they had to learn so yeah because they were learning that he wasn't going to be as they were taught growing up that he was going to be some military leader or whatever and bring them to freedom and that <laughs> they had a lot to love to learn as far as that goes yeah I want to say I, I was really uh, uh, fascinated to see this question um uh, question number five, because in this story of the Samaritan woman, I would say throughout my whole life, it's like 99% about the, uh, let's say, the living water that Jesus gives. And that's what the story is about. Um, but number five says that uh, there's uh, was more happening in this story than the water. So I, I thought this was really good to bring this up. So we're we're aware of it because yeah, number five almost never gets discussed. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. Well, and, and I'm not sure why. <laughs> but. Well, she and and you know she was the person that it happened through because as soon as she perceived that he was a prophet, as soon as he told her her marital history. She she turned the conversation to worshiping God. And then she admit and then she said, you know, we're we're expecting the Messiah. We 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 know that it'll happen someday, this living water or you know, this truth or whatever. And that was his opportunity to announce that he 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 was Messiah. Yeah, he he did speak to her about many important things. He didn't really go around telling everybody he was the Messiah, (laughs) but he he felt he could tell it to her. Yeah, because she was ready. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a wonderful story. Yes. It's very humble. Uh, all odds, he will proclaim that Christ is here, the Messiah is here. It's wonderful. And I feel also what Jesus talked about, you know, there's no location to worship. I think that was important to, his message was to teach that you worship in spirit and in truth, which um, means that it's all one, you know, one-on-one, 
listening to God, that, that deep communion with God, that's the worship of Christ, and that's anywhere. You don't have to go to Jerusalem to worship, he said. Yes. Because no, they had been made to feel that maybe their worship wasn't good enough or something. But what is that? It's one's heart. So important. What a one, wonderful truth. Yes. Don't have to go anywhere. Because that's another misconception. Well, that was good. You said it's in your heart. That's so true. Are we worshiping God? Are we committing our lives to Him? Are we humble before Him? Are we obedient to Him? It's all in the heart. That's the place of worship. And it didn't matter what your past was, how many mistakes you made. He was there for everybody. He could be forgiven. Yes, yeah. It's quite, quite a wonderful story. Mm. A lot to learn from it all for each one of us. It really is. A lot to learn. Very humbling. Well, Aaron, you got an hour. That was perfect. An hour, Susan. Thanks, everyone. Thank you, Susan. Thank you. 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 Thank you.